This is Philip Shore from the Curse of the Vampire Orchestra, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to episode number 29 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are conversations with Philip Shorey about silent film music for Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. Then I talk with Speakeasy about her new album, Forsaken Melodies, plus new music by Martin Zeller. I'm your host, Mark Sterry. Check me out at MarkSterryMusic.com. And thank you for supporting live and local music. Hey, this is Martin Zeller, and you are listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. This is the story of a tortured soul His journey down a deep dark hole A hole he would one day make his grave Suicide by alcohol Bad chip tape to a store wall A damaged soul too far gone to see Yeah, goodbye Oh, I hope Bill Yeah, goodbye Oh, I hope Bill Hey, goodbye, oh, I hope Bill I can see your smile and hear you laughing still We're a ragtag band of outstate balls Drank too much and made a lot of noise Each and every one of us a mess And one day while Bill stumbled in No one remembers where I went He just blended in with our sis We drank a lot, but Bill drank more We do three shots, he do four His brain went black before his mouth would quit We'd head to bed, he'd keep drinking Further down, he just kept sinking Half the shit he'd sing, he'd forget Yeah, goodbye, wild Bill Goodbye, wild Bill I can see your smile and hear you laughing still From every bar So he commenced To slowly kill himself From beer to scotch And scotch to vodka Tittle one Two Kamchatka Could drink his way Down to the bottom shelf He'd disappear After dark And find rough trade Down low in park And short bruised And bloody At my door He'd fill my ashtrays, drink my liquor, laugh and lie and cry and bicker until he'd finally pass out on the floor. Yeah, goodbye, oh, I hope Bill. 
had to walk away from Bill Had to but it haunts me still Yeah, I was fighting demons of my own I was on my knees, but I was trying Bill was just dead set on dying He had to walk that final mile alone Then one day the news came in While Bill's rider reached its end Came as no surprise to anyone I shed my tears for Wild Bill His story haunts me, always will Was there anything more I could have said or done? That was Martin Zeller with the song Goodbye Wild Bill off of his new album Head West. Interview coming soon. Next up, Philip Shorey of Curse of the Vampire Orchestra discusses his silent film music for Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. Philip Shorey, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Philip? Oh, it's going great. Thank you. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Where are you coming in from? I'm, I live in Minneapolis. Very cool. So Philip yeah. just asked me about, I went to Cannibal Corpse last night with some friends at the Fillmore. Have you been to the Fillmore Theater yet? No, I have not. I've seen pictures, though. It looks amazing. Yeah, it looked like, it's a really cool place, and it was a really fun show. That guy, that Corpse Grinder, is the lead singer, and his neck is like the size of my Jeep, and he just flings his hair around, and it was really fun. I couldn't understand a word they said, but it was quite a party. It was a re- really good time. I'd highly recommend seeing Cannibal Corpse uh, f- for whatever kind of genre of music you like, and especially at Fillmore was a really cool venue. Mm, yeah for real yeah so you got something coming up at the skyway theater and uh philip you're a music director can you talk talk about your career and kind of what you do a little bit uh yeah well i'm a composer i i am doing silent movies i've always had a passion for silent movies uh i fell in love with nosferatu in high school went through a little vampire phase you know like everybody and uh just really saw the movie and just resonated with it i saw it again in um what was it in college the ipr i went to school at ipr downtown minneapolis for film scoring and sound design and saw nosferatu again there and i it really made me cry i just felt really emotional over the the whole story with ellen and what she does you know with the vampire and everything and uh it's just powerful film and and i I wanted to be a film composer for a long time, and it just uh, wasn't wasn't time wasn't good the right thing to do. As a, quite a story there, but um, yeah, I started taking I started playing music when I was six, and uh, finally got into film scoring through the Kronos Quartet. I, I saw the Philip Glass version of Dracula in nineteen from nineteen thirty one, and it just changed changed my musical projection so. philip glass did one is it the bella lagoshi the Gossi yeah. version? yeah yeah he did a musical version of it yeah a silent film yep. that's real i did not know yeah that. he did a, re- a remake of the music yeah and i just love that I, I so i i 
got into film scoring, uh, just to, as a hobby. And, um, I was in a theater performing with, at the Bedlam. I don't know if you know about the Bedlam, but that was an old underground theater here in town. And, uh, we, I, I wrote a few musicals. I didn't know much about the tech side of things. So I just hand wrote everything. And then finally I went to school for film scoring and pretty self-educated on the composition arranging or orchestration side of it all. Uh, but in terms of the theory, I, I, I went, I played piano for a long time, play accordion, the bells, all the keyboard instruments, and just YouTube videos. And I actually, well, so yeah, I'll get into a little more of it here if you want me to. Uh, I, I got into marionettes because I am a fourth generation puppeteer and I grew up on the road doing puppets. So uh, when I was working in the theater, I saw a lot of puppetry coming through and it sort of reminded me of my childhood. And But my childhood, the puppetry was... Uh, quite different it was in the Jim Henson era. And this was a very like intellectual, like, you know, different type of puppetry, not just for kids. Even though I don't know if Jim Henson was really for kids either. I mean, that he's some pretty dark stuff, at least for us in the eighties, it was for the kids, but not today. <laughs> my, my kids are terrified of Jim Henson. We had the dark um, crystal. I think he did some pretty cool adult films ish. Not yeah, adult films, I know, you know well, what I mean that, though? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, but I'm just saying like, um, I don't know. Kids of the eighties were just a different breed back then. Weren't they? I agree. You and I? I agree. Yes. We're just a, we're just a different breed. Uh, and so anyway, <laughs> might explain a few things, right? Um, so anyway, I, I got into puppetry again, just through seeing these shows at the theater that I was working on in as a composer. And so I developed my own show. And my own show was uh, a story that I found, and it, I just I, th- I thought I resonated with it. It was a story about a murder, and he gets a second chance. And I t- took it down to uh, Brazil, and got it translated down there into into Portuguese, and I did the show as a, more of a mission or a humanitarian uh, production. And I went into some brothels and orphanages and street corners with kids sniffing glue and just did this show as a way to like you know serve serve the poor and bring them a message of hope and uh it really kind of changed my life like changed my projection on what i thought i was going to do i thought i was going to be like film score hollywood composer this is what i'm passionate about and i just realized you know i just want to I want my life to to mean something more than just like the rat race and climbing the ladder, trying to make it, you know, and, and composition as a composer, man, that's, that's really rare to, to do anything with it. You know, like there's a lot of great composers who never hear their music performed with the orchestra. And so I just felt like, well, you know, this is actually doing something. This little puppet show has got, it's got a little punch. And it's doing something. It's impacting people's lives. It's helping, making them think, and let, letting them know that they're loved and that their life matters. And and even if it's just for a few kids on the street, like that, that's important. So, uh, so I came home from that spring break, and I was like, well, I'm just going to finish school, and then I'm going to do this puppet thing and just teach piano on the on the side. And I did that for 15 years, just. 
in the, you know, in the trenches. I took my show to, uh, Eastern Europe countless times, the, the Middle East, Asia, got it translated into over 10 languages. Um, I, I brought my show into like some really hard places, some squats, some, a lot of places where people are like just really strung out and just trying to bring them a message of, of, of peace and love. And uh, then uh, I get this opportunity. And so I saw Nosferatu again here in Minneapolis and I, I, I love it. And, but the music that was attached to it at this time, when I saw it, like this is probably 2016. Um, it was different than the, the way I interpreted Nosferatu. So I interpreted Nosferatu. I saw Ellen as this hero and like the vampire was like really creepy. I mean, we, we watch Nosferatu now and it's like, that's funny, you know, but the way it was made in the twenties, I mean, it was horror. Like it was like real, like intense, right? People even like weren't even sure if this guy was a real vampire in in the movie, right? You know, like the Shadow of the Vampire movie that's based on that myth. So uh, I, I wrote the music more with this like battle of light and dark and this strong like love theme. You know, like love is what conquers the darkness through Ellen, and in the way that I saw it. At that at that time in 2016, the way the music was interpreted, it just felt kind of like comically creepy. It was good music, but it just didn't like hold the essence of the story the way I saw it. And I felt something inside of me say, "Well, then you do something with it, and you do it." And I'm like, "Well, what can I do? You know, like I'm a I'm a puppet guy. I'm I, you know, I, that's a really bad." I mean, that's intense to make a puppet show based on Nosferatu. Somebody should do that. But I'm a puppet guy, and I'm like, what, what, what should I do with it? And uh, so I created this comic book called Curse of the Vampire, and I thought, well, this, this, this could maybe show how I see this story in, in a unique way. And I hired an illustrator I knew from Brazil to help me do it. And I pitched it then to a... Um, to a festival that I'd been working with in Poland, doing different workshops and puppet shows. They knew me well. And I'm like, hey, you guys should show Nosferatu with this comic book. It's, it's cool, you know? And they thought, well, it's a great idea, but it needs music. Can you write music for the show, for this movie? And I couldn't believe it. Like, my dream, you know? Like, I couldn't believe that they offered me an, an orchestra, they commissioned me. And I'd never done anything like this before. Like Nosferatu was my first time writing for an, a full orchestra. My first time to hear my music played by an orchestra. My first time leading an orchestra. I had to learn how to conduct just to do it. And I'm like, well, I guess I got to go big or go home. Like you don't get an opportunity like this every day. And um, I, I just had some friends I'm like, hey, check my parts. You know, hey, you know brass can you check this like hey you know choir can you check this and i have some friends i have a buddy that plays industrial percussion in europe and i'm like hey can you can you join me because like the, the the scene that i think loves nosferatu it's this industrial you know rave scene it's got like you know metal kids and you know these these that's i mean that's me you know so i'm like i want to make this music that really caters to the crowd that i i feel loves this movie has a cult following 
And so I invited my, my buddy who plays 55 barrel drums and grinders to be a part of the orchestra, which he had never heard of that. He's like, what? I mean, I play heavy metal. I don't play orchestra. And I'm like, no, no, no. You got to hear me out. Like, we're going to have some electronica in this. We're EDM. It's going to be driving. It's going to be cool. But it's also going to have like full strings, full choir, full brass, woodwinds, you know, everything. And he's like, that's interesting. Let's, let's do it. Let's try it out. See if it works. You know, so my first show was in 2018 uh, at the festival in a Gothic cathedral, like in, in ruins um, at this festival. And uh, it's called Slot Art Festival. And uh, it was it was amazing. Couldn't believe it. I'd do it just as a one-off, you know, like just that one time. It'd be worth it. And but it ended up growing. Uh, the Music Box Theater caught wind of it. We did it there for a number of seasons. Now we're at the Skyway. We've done it there for a few seasons. I've traveled around Germany with Pol- in Poland with it a bit, and I've had some other like professional orchestras lease the music from me and perform it themselves. Um. So just kind of a kind of blows my mind a little bit. And here I get to do it again for the fifth season in Minneapolis with a 65-piece orchestra at Skyway Theater. What a fascinating story. Yes, been a fan of Nosferatu since I was a young vampire-ish kid that was into all that horror stuff. So I find this fascinating when you reached out to me. A um, couple questions. So when you, you're talking about traveling all over the world and doing all this stuff, are you getting paid to do this stuff? Like as a, I'm a full-time musician pretty much myself. How are you able to be such a jet setter and do all this with puppets and all this and make a living? Uh, I was teaching piano at the, on the side, you know. So my, my summers I had off. So during my summers, I could I could go out and do stuff and and you know I'm you you'd raise like some patron support or something like hey I'm doing this thing you know and you find some some people are like oh that's cool yeah I want to give to that so um, you, you do you find a way you know but uh, I I met my wife in Germany she was from here and uh, she was in school to be a nurse and so we met in Germany though. And that was crazy. We got the the bonus of uh, the, the 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 European romance, and then the practicality of, hey, we live in the same city, you know. So that was cool. But so you, but yeah, so, oh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. So you said you had a choir. You have voices in in this as well. Yeah, we have a twenty piece choir. So did you write lyrics yep. for this? No, this one. This is like. Um, like Lord of the Rings, you know, like lots of oohs, ahs. I didn't write Elvish or a language. I'm not that incredible, like Howard Shore. But, um, but you know, it's atmospheric uh, choir. Yeah. I got you. But I've done others. And I, I, I've done, uh, I'm, I'm finished, I've just finished Phantom of the Opera too, not to spill the beans. But that one's coming from 1925. And that one I get to actually put, a, I put a little more Latin in it, um, a little more like chant kind of stuff. Um, that, but this one, this one's just like atmospheric. Yeah. So in the original 1922 Nosferatu film, you're talking about when you uh, heard the music for the first time or, or just revisited the music. Was there any 
musical themes. Let's say you take Jaws, where it's dun 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 dun, dun or like Clint Eastwood, uh, Sergio Leone. Dun, dun, dun. Was there any musical themes from the original film, silent film, musically that you use now? Uh, no, but that's a really great question. Uh, something that I'm passionate about is continuing continuing the evolution of silent film music. Um, silent film music started out, you know, very honky tonk with the action. Mickey Mousing is what we call it, and and then it went into a little bit more like romantic era uh, with Max Steiner, I believe. But ju- that happened just as the talkies were, were coming you know and then as soon as talkies came about silent movies the art form in itself died which to me is very sad because i feel like silent movies is a different art form and a different approach than talkies you know what we have today the music is like not just 70 percent. which is what i think uh what is it uh, i think spielberg says music is seven music is 70 percent of the effect of movies, you know, and 30% of the budget. Right. Um, but I mean, with silent movies, it's like 90% of the effect. Right. I mean, that's all you hear. So the, the, uh, the music of silent movies and silent movies themselves, I think it's just a lost art form. And, and it's really sad to me because I think silent movies with music is just such a beautiful production. You can't, it's just best live, you know, always. So it stopped right then with the talkies and something that I feel like I'm bringing to Nosferatu in my productions is that I'm continuing that evolution of music for silent movies. So as a child of the eighties, like you, our music uh, came about with lots of themes you know, of course, the evolution of talkies and, and, and cinema and the music, it's gone through some lulls and some highs, experimental. Uh, and then eventually, like in the early 80s, like thematic music really took root with Star Wars, uh, Indiana Jones, and the era of John Williams. Um, well, and you had, a, you had a bit of that um, with Bernard Herrmann, of course, with uh, Hitchcock and his, his movies. But anyway... Man, I I wanted to bring back silent movies with thematic music. Because that's not how Nosferatu was originally in any of these movies. Um, it's very romantic or honky tonk. And who would you who would you say would be like the Elvis Presley of silent film music? Well, that's really difficult to say because a lot of it's been lost. I have zero idea you know? about any of them. Yeah, well that's what I'm saying. Like like these movies, they're they're not known for their soundtracks, you know, and and some a lot of it's been lost, and then that's why you have such liberty from a lot of different bands and art artists redoing the music because there's not like a quintessential score attached to a lot of these silent movies. Uh, they're just some of it's lost and some of it's muffled and it's. And it's not even a lot of it. It's not relatable um, to to like our generation and like how we think and perceive music and how music has evolved. Uh, So for like the film buff, they may be like for the extreme film buff, maybe like you and me, like we're fine watching a silent movie with whatever is there 
audible, you know, like we're just kind of like, we can be purists like that. And I, and and that's fine. And I love that. But at the same time, when you bring modern music to these movies and you bring themes and I have a whole bunch of them, I can tell you about if we're not Sferatu, you capture a modern audience. And that's real to me, that's really important. Like I get to express this wonderful art form to people at Skyway Theater, at you know other theaters, festivals, mainstream festivals in, in Europe. And so many of these people have never seen Nosferatu. Or so many of these people have never seen a silent movie before. And they love it. They just love it. And we're mixing like rock and roll elements and a rock and roll light show. And we're mixing like the full orchestra with some other elements and some campy theatrical effects. Uh, and it's a whole production. And so we get to actually like modernize it a little bit, mix the old with the new, do it on an LED board maybe, you know, and, and modernize it in a way where I hope, I mean, as a fan, I'm not losing the essence of what silent film is, but at the same time, bringing it for a new generation to appreciate and to explore and, 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 and love, learn to love this lost art form. Was there any legal red tape when you do this stuff? Are you able just to take the film and do whatever you want to it? Is there any kind of like documents you got to fill out to use this footage or how do you go about that? Yeah, every film is different, you know, like, and it also depends on if you're doing it in the United States or in Europe, there's different laws and different, uh, foundations or, or, um, you know, like the Chaplin estate has certain films that they love and hold on to. And you got to get permission for that and other films that, Oh, it's okay. Just, just do what you want. And, and then also they've some of these, some of these, um, organizations, uh, and they are organizations now. They're not always ran by the family or the director or anything. Cause it's so long ago. Like, it's kind of sad to be honest. I mean, public domain, is supposed to be in order to keep these things alive. You know, like your art, the artist gets what he deserves for it. You know, it goes to the family for a little while and then it will die unless other artists take hold of it and reinvent it and use it, you know, and then it goes into the public domain. And so what they've done actually sometimes is that they, they copyright the digital version of it as well and now it's good for another long time and you know you could use an old 16 millimeter print which is like you know corroded and barely visible um so they find they find ways to keep hold of this stuff which i'm not actually a real fan of i mean to me i think it should go into the public domain so artists like myself can can reinvent it and use it and bring new life into it uh, instead of just like holding onto it and hoarding it um, for you know and then it, nobody really gets to enjoy it so much uh, or at least not people who are like you know are experimental like myself but no we 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 jump through different hoops we get permissions if if we need to sometimes we have to sometimes we don't have to. Um, it just all depends on on the the content and what we're doing. I think to me, another way that that film is so timeless, you take like Robert Englund from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, these classic actors, Boris Karloff, Vincent Price, uh, 
the guy that does Nosferatu, that plays Dracula or Nosferatu, whatever, and from 1922, who is that guy? I can't think of his name. Max I'm Shrek. Max, Max Shrek. Shrek. Yeah, what a name. And can you tell me just briefly about him? What a unique-looking fella. And he doesn't look much different than Nosferatu. <laughs> I don't know too much about Max. I mean... There was all the, 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 the questions of if he was a real vampire. I think he died in 1956. Um, so I don't think he was a real vampire, unless that was just like a staged death. But, um, yeah, I don't know too much about him. He, it's a German expressionist film. So these are all German actors. And their the German expressionism was just really high on emotion and bringing like the feeling and the emotion out through the imagery so everything's very exaggerated and over looming and uh just very like just you know impressionist you know um over extreme and it just and it came what's interesting is it came at a time when europe was going through a really dark uh period of history the spanish flu had just finished uh the world war one had just finished um, there was economic crisis and collapse that was happening. And all these companies around Europe had formed to form modern cinema, except Germany was a bit excluded because of the war. So they, they started their own thing, you know, and it reflected the, what was emotionally happening in their culture as well. So, uh, Really fascinating time and actually very similar, I'd say, to where we are right now, you know, which is very sad to think that was 100 years ago and we still haven't learned from our mistakes. Um, but here we are, you know, here coming out of a pandemic. Here we are, coming out of a pandemic, you know, coming in a war in Europe again, economic ruin. Like, it's a dark time. German expressionism. There you go. Us humans have a hard time learning things, you know. It's over and over. Anyway, is there samples from this that I can spin on my podcast or some listeners can hear some samples of what they might hear if they come to the show? Yeah, I'm not super proud of the recording that we have. Um, it's, a, it's a live recording from my first Minneapolis orchestra. It was 35 players um, in 2018. But, but you get the idea. Um, yeah, it's on my website, CurseOfTheVampire.com. And you can what's see your, it. it's on what's, Spotify. Okay. Oh, cool. What is your like socials if people want to follow you on social media or follow your Curse of the Vampire Orchestra or come to your Nosferatu, a symphony of horror performance? Yeah, well, great. Um, Curse of the Vampire is on Instagram, Facebook, curseofthevampire.com, um, Curse of the Vampire, TikTok. I, I don't do much for TikTok. I'm not into that, but... You know, that's where the kids are, right? Um, and then you have a um, Spotify, Bandcamp, iTunes. Just Curse of the Vampire all the way across. And then if you go to our website or Skyway Theater, you can definitely find tickets um, to come see our show.
would like to take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota and the B-Dale Club, the BDC 2100. I read on Facebook that ID Chrysler had changed Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota. Congratulations to Monir and the whole crew. Looking forward to checking out the place. Their philosophy is still simple, though. Time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out the inventory at ZombrotaCDJR.com or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombrota, Minnesota to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out Mosaic Chrysler Zombrota today and enjoy a safe fall season, my favorite season, full of adventures and memories out in that open road in a new ride. Next up, the B-Dale Club, the B2C 2100. One of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area, if not the world. The B-Dale Club located at the Road B and Dale. Their motto is, a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun. And as a stone, cold truth this Thursday, rocking out with Stephen C. on the piano. Haven't rocked with him in a while. Me, Johnson, Stephen C. and guest bartender, Dustonius, Dustin Bistrom, Natalie Shelley, Dustin Tart, bar staff, all state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. As of late, my libation of choice is the classic screw-up cocktail. They're to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair, tasted little devils, live music, pool table, pool tabs, Tuesday night chess society, bingo, meat raffle, bocce ball Thursdays, and much more. B-Dale's got it all. Stop for a cold one. Now, today. Next up, I speak with Speakeasy about her new album, Forsaken Melodies. Afterwards, hear the new single, Love Me Wild, Love Me Crazy. Speakeasy. Welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today? Good. It's. Uh, I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. So you're saying your new record comes out October 6th. Um, can you yeah. tell us about your new record a little bit? Yeah. So uh, my new record's an EP. It's a five-song EP. It's called uh, Forsaken Melodies. And it it's really meant to capture you know a variety of emotions as far as like what it's like to be human and how we interact with people and um, understanding those situations and those interpretations that you have of other people and learning from them and applying them to, to future, future interactions. Cool. Where did you get the name speakeasy? Um, Oh, this is kind of a fun story. So actually I'm kind of a 1920s, uh, 1930s junkie. Um, I can tell. (laughs) Yeah. What gave it away? Um, I'm, I'm really into that. Those, those decades. Um, I have a lot of family history, actually. Um, uh, my, my last EP was called bootlegger blood. Um, and the reason why was because I literally have bootlegger blood. So I come from a, a family of bootleggers and, um, that's always, uh, history has always been really rich in my family. So that's, that's been a, a big inspiration for, um, you know, why I'm so fascinated with that, especially on like an emotional level and some of maybe like the toxic traits that are passed out in that lineage. Do you have a good family bootlegger story you can share? <laughs> None I feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> okay, yeah. I get small family history like that. That's kind of fun too. What do you think it is about the 19, the roaring 20s or whatever it is that is so... uh just so interesting. I have a music from the world from the Roaring Twenties record sitting right over there. Is it the cool haircuts, the look, the coolness of it, the outlaw? What is it? You think? I mean, the coolness is is like the the 
the actual aesthetic of like clothing and styles I've always found to be really cool. Like I love how industrial it is. I love, I love the gold, um, so much gold. And I think I do really, really, uh, attract to the actual law that was going on. Like, especially like the prohibition era. Um, I, I think that that is so interesting because it seems like a, a time where people were, were, awakening in a, in a certain way. And just the way that that overlapped with the law in general, especially here in the Twin Cities, the history here is just insane. Um, and I just, I really, I really think it's cool um, to a certain degree, of course, um, how people just, they stood up for what they wanted and they went after it. So that's, that's really it. During COVID or right after COVID, I was playing like these shows in Wisconsin. And I also played at this Volstead and Egan named it the Volstead Act of the 20s. Or yep. Um, yep. And I kind of felt like it was kind of outlaw, like what it kind of would have been like in the 1920s where like you weren't supposed to be playing and weren't supposed to be doing this, but you're, you're playing music, people drinking and stuff. I thought that was yep. uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Do you have a favorite Roaring Twenties gangster? Oh man, uh, that's a that's a hard one. I mean, this may be the basic answer, but like Dillinger, you know. I mean, come on, <laughs> what a cool guy! How how do you get better than that? When I got my latest tattoo, I listened to a biography of John Dillinger, and super fascinating. He had his face redone towards the end of his life, so they couldn't recognize him. And wasn't he the one that had like a, a met some lady in red outside this theater in Chicago, and then they shot him? Is that his story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. Being up here, I think I don't know. I love Al Capone and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I I love that that Roaring Twenties that that kind of. Uh, history, so it's kind of cool to see your references to that. Um, do you do you write songs about that era as well? No, not really. Um, and like, uh, occasionally I'll use some old fashioned sounds that you know you can pick out and and say, yeah, I, I could see that, especially in uh, like some of my songs, like I'm crushing his gaze, um, but. Uh, it's really, it's really about like my family lineage. Um, just because like speakeasy is, is, it's a project that is, is a way for me to dump kind of the, the deeper emotional things that I'm feeling. Um, and so a lot of those emotional, uh, I guess, conflicts within myself come from my childhood and the way that I was raised and they, they really, um, impact the way that I carry myself today and I, the way that I, I interact with people. And so, uh, it's, it's less about the sounds, um, and more about the, the lineage and the inspiration that, that comes from that. Because, um, like I mentioned earlier, I, I definitely feel like there's some family trauma that was passed down and, um, there, there are some bad people in my family. And so, um, like, I think that, you know, your ancestors define 
more generations and then here you are today and it's it's kind of like sorting through where some of these traits came from from like my parents or my grandparents and kind of seeing how they impact me today and how I'm applying myself today in in society so you said you have projects besides speakeasy do you play in other bands or have you played in other bands and things like that over the years um, I mean, I'm classically trained. So I used to play in bands. I used to do a lot of choir work. That's actually where I kind of found, you know, my love for, for music in general. Um, I couldn't do sports as a kid because, um, I have some messed up knees. And so the only other option for me other than, you know, like painting or drawing or something at the time that was, you know, socially acceptable was music. So I just like double tripled up on music and I ended up like it, it was my entire life. Uh, I hours and hours I, I competed and stuff like that growing up. And uh, by the time I was out of high school, I got tired of competing with other people. I wanted to take the less classical approach and go the more folk approach. So um, I always wanted to do music and I played in, you know, just like random bands, like filling in nothing, uh, nothing official, but uh, or I just show up to open mics or just jam out with, you know, friends at their houses and friends of their friends. Um, but I didn't start doing speakeasy stuff until about uh, the end of 2021. And it took it took a lot for me to get there. Cool. Um, when I first hear your material, first thing that pops is your incredible, big voice, just an awesome, awesome singing voice. When did you start? What were your influences in that? And when'd you start developing your singing voice? Um, that's actually a, a hard one for me because I, growing up, I never thought I had a good voice. I knew I could keep tone, um, which is why choir work was more attractive to me. But as a solo artist, like that was really, really hard for me. And um, it, it was a lot of just singing in my car and singing around wherever I lived. I, I, I just sang all the time. Um, and I wouldn't say there's like a particular artist that initialized that it was more just, I love to sing. I just, there, there was a feeling that I got from singing that nothing else could, could ever mimic, could ever replace. And, um, you know, I just, I just loved doing it. And I started actually doing some vocal work for, cause, um, my full-time job is I make video games. And so, um, I started doing some music for video games, uh, vocal work, and that allowed me to really uh, see myself as more of a solo artist. But um, I always wanted to do something like Speakeasy, and uh, I went to Peru for like two weeks and just sat in the middle of the jungle and ate potatoes just just as a retreat. And I, when I was doing that, I was like, damn, um, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do this. I'm going to actually do this. And it was incredibly uncomfortable for me at first. Uh, it still is to a certain degree, but then that's that's really how I, I shaped my sound. I mean, even if you listen to the first track that I ever put out, it seems a lot more reserved, and I was I was afraid to to really just push push it out there. But it just took it took a lot of writing, it took a lot of uh, experimenting, and now now I'm definitely more confident with it. I can't really say that I'm super in love with my voice but i i see i see that it's an outlet for me and that that to me is is enough for me one of my dear friends retired buddy plays grand theft auto 
all day long, pretty much every day. I'll go visit him, yeah. and he'll be like, oh, you should have heard what they said on the radio station this morning, or, oh, you made a CD out of the songs of the video game. If you work in the video game business, have you ever put in your songs on certain games? Uh, yeah, my songs are in, are in some games, mostly like indie stuff. I, I focus in indie horror a lot, but, um, it's funny you mentioned that because I do, uh, I do know some people that, uh, you know, know some people that might be, might be, uh, involved in what you just mentioned. So, um, it's, it's really cool. Uh, the overlap sometimes the way that music and the gaming industry, uh, come and, um, actually there was a title we were working on that's now canceled, but, um, the whole point of the title was that uh, there was a sound like music. Um, it was a relation between uh, a father and their daughter and their connection was music. And so I was doing um, a lot of vocal work for that. But unfortunately, the project was canceled now, but it was, it was really cool. And um, sound and music is a really, really big thing in games. So uh, the overlap is is a lot of fun for me. You're into indie horror like movies? Uh, I'm into indie horror, everything, but, uh, for, for my living. Yeah. I make, I make indie horror games. That's, that's the focus of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge horror movie fan. I have like the, oh, Shutter, okay. the Shutter channel. I watch every single yeah. thing that comes out. I watch multiple ones a week. So that's, that's super interesting. What are your games about? Like an indie horror game? Like what's the premise or story? Just cause I'm curious. I mean, it, it really depends. Um, I mean, every every game idea is unique. I, I tend to like the more like brutal, deeper ideas. Um, some games that I've I've done like production work on and stuff though have been like the Mortuary Assistant, My Friendly Neighborhood, and uh, the Mortuary Assistant is like a game where you uh, are getting haunted by this demon, but you're it, it's kind of like the um, uh, God. What was it? The You'll, you'll probably Jane Doe, the autopsy of Jane Doe, I believe it's kind of, it's kind of similar to that. And then, um, my friendly neighborhood is like a horror puppet game. Um, that's kind of influenced by like Sesame street. So you shoot a bunch of puppets that are trying to hug you a little too tight. So it really depends on, um, the people that you're working with and the developers, but yeah, that's, that's the gist of, um, overall what, what I focus in. Are there like, iPhone friendly or no? No, no, they're not. They're, they're like they're not on games. I got mobile. you. They're, yeah, PC and they're getting ported to like Nintendo, Xbox, and PlayStation. But yeah, I've, the the core of what I do is focused in PC gaming. If you had to, since we're in Halloween season, this will be out in a few weeks. Uh, what is your go to Halloween movie this year? You'd recommend to your fans and listeners. Oh man, it has to it has to be out this year. No, just something you saw recently. No, Malignant is really good. Um, that's that's a really good one. Um, and it's it's funny because it's kind of set up to be like, it seems like it's going to be another basic um, haunting, like oh she may be insane kind of movie. But the twist in it is so good, and it's it's something I feel like no one has ever done before. But yeah, Malignant, that's a good one. Outstanding. Uh, I watched the the Hollow last night. I thought that one was pretty mm. good. Um, okay, cool. I'm trying to think, yeah, I love 
tons of them. I'm a huge Shudder fan. I watch one multiple a week. It's a ton of fun. I love horror stuff. I'm also a metalhead too, so I I don't play any of this stuff. But I like, feel that. <laughs> yeah. So like, what I do for music, I play like funk and blues and uh, that kind of stuff, harmonica, guitar. But I mm-hmm. love metal music as well because it's something I'll never play. I'll never do. It's almost like I was a kid again listening to music and stuff. So I'm going to a bunch of metal concerts this fall. I just, I love that too. Yeah, I'm actually a big metalhead uh, myself. And when I was deciding what I wanted to do as a solo artist, it was between stuff like Speakeasy or doing metal. And um, I, I ended up going the Speakeasy route, obviously. But um, yeah, metal is a really big influence and uh, it's, it's a big part of my life musically for sure. Can you recommend me one metal band and I'll recommend you one? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if I have ones that you don't already know. Uh, I'm, I'm a pretty big deaf metal person. So I would say uh, Cattle Decapitation is badass. Um, if you haven't listened to them, they're, they're really good. They're, they're a little more hard, but... Uh, I like the heaviest yeah. stuff they can possibly make. That's, that's what I like. Oh, you, you would love Cattle Decapitation then. Yes. Um, my favorite band this last month is, uh, well, I'm going to see Cannibal Corpse, Mayhem, Meshuggah, oh, yeah. and I'm seeing uh, Behemoth this upcoming few months. Yep, yep. But my favorite band, metal band right now, is called Spirit World. And they are okay. thrash, death metal, except they have like a Western cowboy theme. It's these older what? dudes. They're, yeah, they're you know these guys. It's some metal. Is these older dudes? They got gray hair. They're from Vegas, but like their their latest record's called Death Western, and it's the coolest album cover I've ever seen. It's like an old Sergio Leone Western movie, and uh-huh. the guy's voice sounds like the devil himself. And it just it's kind of that monotone where the voice is kind of one of the instruments just bounces right along, and mm-hmm. it's ferocious. And I just love it. Spirit World, I, Death okay, Spirit Western. World. Death Western, I'm unbelievable. Very intrigued. I'm very intrigued. That's <laughs> That sounds awesome. All right, well, let's, let's back, jump back to your Speakeasy record, Forsaken Melodies. Where did you track this thing at? Uh, Like, where did I record it? Yeah. <laughs> right here. Everything in my bedroom. Really? Well, office. Yeah, I do. Um, I do everything at home, and um, I actually work with a co-producer. Uh, his name is Victor Karas. He he lives in uh, Lufenschaffen in uh, Germany, though. So we actually do things online. Um, he he kind of helps make everything sound like balanced and put together, and um, I I obviously write all the the lyrics and uh the music and stuff and he he assists with that as well but yeah um everything's in my office and uh nothing fancy but it it gets the job done it works it it sounds awesome to me let's so let's start can i name off a few songs i thought were pretty cool and maybe tell us the story behind this song uh, yeah, number track absolutely. one, Love Me Wild, Love Me Crazy. It's got a cool music video, too, with those old clips, the old timers on there. You want to mm-hmm. tell us about that song? Yeah, that song is actually one of my favorites, if not my, my favorite song. Um, it's actually released as a single right now, and I loved it so much that I wanted to remaster it and put it on the new EP. 
Um, that song is is really interesting though because it's about it's about really like accepting that somebody cares about you and and loves you and just totally embracing it and kind of the the battles that you have in your head when you're you're in something that's good, something that's stable. And then uh, you're kind of doubting what, like what are people's intentions? Is there like a side motive, but just shutting that up for a second and just going, going crazy about it, just, just embracing it and stop with the shyness and you as a person embrace that as well. And in, in it's full capacity. All right. How about the song? Don't come crying to me. Oh man, that one is, it doesn't sound like it, but that one is like probably my most sassy song on, on the album. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a complicated one because really, it really captures the fact that, um, you know, I travel a lot for my job and I've had a lot of people where they, I'm valuable to them only at, on, at a certain time and a certain place. And, you know, I realized not too long ago that I can't necessarily be ashamed of, of who I am. Um, and like, I'm not going to be tied down to any specific uh, situation. So it, it really captures the idea of like, if something if something is is good, it you know I see the soul in something, then the, it will always like have my love. Um, I'll always support it, and uh, it, it's really about not losing yourself in in all the chatter and all the people that say you're one thing or another thing. And um, like I don't, I I, I got I got kind of lost for a little bit in in, in my my lifestyle. Uh, with traveling so much and different people all the time and um, long hours, late nights. And uh, I realized that it was impacting me in a way that it was, it was really making me confused about who I was and who I should be listening to and um, seeing my value. And I realized that none of that shit matters, right? Like I need to be comfortable with who I am. I need to make sure that wherever I put my support and my love it is something that I'm a hundred percent in and not doing it because another person tells me to. And, you know, there have been, especially in my life recently, you know, there are people in my life that say, uh, you'll regret this or you should do this differently. And then when, when I don't do what they want me to, they, they get a, a Royal stick up their butt and, uh, they treat me differently or they try to bring me down. And, you know, the don't come crying to me when you see what I do works and continues to work, you know, I've had people that come back around and they're like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? Like, cause they see I'm successful and it's, it's like, Oh, can I do this with you or be part of this? It's like, that's the whole point of don't come crying to me. Right. Um, and I'm not going to be made out to be, uh, less of a person because I wear my heart on my sleeve. And even though I'm protective of it, like I, I will tell you, when I'm going to be raw, when I'm going to be emotional and I'm not going to make people make me or let people make me feel bad about, you know, having those emotions. Wow. That's, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really interesting. Um, 
I'm going to ask you about one more. Is that okay? My favorite one on the record is Day Drink Till I Feel Okay. Cool. What's that one about? Um, I thought it was super catchy. Um, That one, one I was like, you can kind of hear it in the first verse, but I was just, I was a bit spicy. I was a bit angry at a certain individual um, who you know, kind of pretended to be my friend and, you know, promised a bunch of things and, um, they just did never had any follow up. You know, I heard they were talking shit behind my back and it was funny because, uh, I met this person through kind of like professional contacts and, and during my day job and it kind of overlapped into music a little bit. And, um, like I found myself really getting down because I thought this was like a genuine person. And, you know, I found myself literally day drinking um, to like comprehend these feelings and to just like forget that, you know, I found myself in this situation where I felt kind of betrayed. And uh, honestly, um, it was funny because it's like calling out this person or, or those characteristics in any kind of person like this and then realizing I had a thought I had a thought like halfway through the song it's like I'm not gonna sit here and write a song about how I'm you know kind of hurt that you were not authentic with me and so the second verse really switches that tone because it's like I look at me and all my accomplishments and where I'm at and then I look at this person and it's like I shouldn't be upset about this. I'm not going to be mad about it. Like, so the second verse totally switches tones and, you know, it it ends with like saying I'm real and I'm, I'm above you. And, you know, I don't like to think that anyone is above or below anyone else, but if, if we're looking at things on paper, it's like, I'm like mad at myself for getting upset that someone made me feel this way when I have so much, success and, uh, like positivity in my life. And I'm, it's, it's like almost sad too in the course that I'm sad that I thought of myself any less as a person because this other person decided to not see any value in me in a way that they were having healthy interactions with me. Wow. That's, I think yeah, that's incredible. It's good. It's thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people can relate uh, for sure. Uh, before we wrap it up, can you tell us what shows you have coming up and your social yeah. media information? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I'm having an EP Forsaken Melodies EP release party um, at The Rock in St. Paul on October 12th. Um, that's going to be, I'm, I'm bringing guests, uh, little sensei, orange soda and Jaharlin. Um, so hopefully if anyone's local, they'll come out. It's going to be fun. I'll be bringing physical copies of the new EP. So excited to be there. And, um, it's, it's going to be a good time. Uh, as far as socials go, you can find me on Twitter at scrunchow underscore speak, um, Instagram and Facebook speakeasy music. And I also have a website, which is just speakeasy.com.
home this week's episode of the minnesota music shakedown is another new track by one of the featured guests this week speakeasy with a song called don't come crying to me thanks to andrew crowley from organica recording for assisting in post-production this has been the minnesota music shakedown if you'd like to toss a buck or two into the podcast dip jar please go to patreon.com forward slash mark music if you like what i do check out my website mark for artists or song submissions please email me at mark music at gmail.com or message me on social media thanks for tuning in till next time Straight that can feed the arm, but I'm always out of the